Well, like I said, I'm talking about money today. This is one of those subjects that people either get, I don't know, worked up about, people don't care about, or it doesn't bother people. But money in the church is a funny thing because people don't necessarily understand money. But money is amoral, means it has no morality to it. It's just money, and it's a tool. But how we perceive money or how we understand money will determine how we use it. And when you look in the Bible, you can see different accounts of when Jesus teaches on it, and he teaches a lot about money. You can see it in the Old Testament of what they did with it. Some people give, some people don't. I've known rich people, very rich people, that are stingy as all tomorrow. And then I've known rich people who are extremely generous. I've known poor people that are extremely generous, and I've known poor people who are extremely stingy. So it's got nothing to do with money. Money has everything to do with how we view it. I personally view it only as a tool. It is a tool that I need to do and buy things. It gives me an avenue to pick up things and purchase things and, and survive. But depending on how you see it will depend on what you do with it. See, we don't... This is going to be an interesting concept. We don't actually obtain money. We manage it. We are actually stewards of it. And you can say, what? That doesn't make sense. I go to work. I work really hard. They give me a paycheck at the end of the week or end of the fortnight or end of the month. It's my money. No. And the reason why it's not your money is because you don't take it with you. When you die, you don't take it with you. If you go back and look at different cultures and different civilizations in the world, there were some thoughts that when you could actually take it into your for life. If you look at the pharaohs, the Egyptians, they would be buried with everything they owned because they had this understanding or the thought process that when they die, they go into the afterlife and whatever they have, they can take with them. And so they would amass fortunes. Too bad if you were a slave or a concubine and you were not dead when the pharaoh died because you'd be buried alive. <laughs> or they would kill you, be put in there, so then you would go with the pharaoh. But they never took it with them. They thought they did, but they never actually took it with them. And Jesus actually talks about the fact that, in Matthew, he talks about the fact that we, we collect things that rust. We collect things that gather dust because we think they're important, but they're, they're not. They have lifespans, just like we do. In the book of James, James begins to relay this information. He comes to this point. Now, if you were here last week, you we covered a huge amount of things to avoid and the importance of things and putting things in the, first, in the right places. And then James begins to discuss this in chapter 5 about money. And he's addressing the church in Jerusalem. And there are a lot of wealthy people in Jerusalem at this point in time. And he's talking about things in a different manner and talking about how they're managing their money, how they got their money, he describes it in a different way, and sometimes we can disconnect when we don't necessarily understand how it relates. If you live in Australia, it doesn't matter if you feel you don't have enough money or if you feel you do have enough money, you already live above 90% of the world's population. 
we are so richly blessed in this country that is insane. Yet because of our lifestyle, because of our perspective, how we see things, we don't necessarily see it like that. I was talking to some friends, our friends in Vanuatu, and they were relaying some information. I mean, earlier last year they had some needs that they were trying to fulfill, and we asked for some prayer requests, and they, they gave a whole heap of them. They bought a second-hand car when they went over there, and it died, and so they were trying to find another car. Over there, the healthcare system isn't very great. They work with a company called Medical Santo, when they're on Santo Island, that helps with first aid. But for a Westerner, you have this ability to pay this insurance that if something majorly goes wrong, they will literally put you onto a private jet and fly you to a third, first world country to get your assistance. And that insurance cost them like $5,000 a year. And so they were believing and praying for that and, and we stood with them and we were able to give some money towards that and, 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 and some other things. But we sometimes take for granted what we have. When they first went over there, within the first few months, they went through a Category 5 cyclone. <laughs> and their house was leaking and they had some issues that they had to fix up. And a good old Brisbane cyclone. What's a cyclone? <laughs> We see them on the radar, but we don't fully understand what they are. Because sometimes we don't understand or we don't take for granted, or we take for granted, what I should say, what we have. We have so many luxuries, it's not funny. We talk to ki our kids about what we grew up with. You know, like my TV in my home now is a little bit bigger than what I grew up with. I remember a small little TV. We had colour, but we didn't have a remote. So someone got the short straw and had to get up and go press the buttons. And we never actually bought our TV. Our TV came with the house. And it never had buttons. You actually had to put your finger in the TV to press the button that was behind the button. And I remember my grandmother's TV was one of those clunkers. You know, used to clunk the handle over. And we would get up early in the morning we would get in trouble because she's like, choose a channel and stay on it. Clunk, 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 clunk. And then they came up with these fandangle things, you know, these, these remotes. You could sit at the on the couch and not get up and change the channel. We thought all our Christmases had come at once. I remember our first TV that we bought after that. We thought it was the bee's knees. Now, don't worry me, I pressed the wrong button. Technology. But we can take for granted what we have. I mean, we used to never complain about our, our, what we had in our home. We didn't know any better. I mean, my first pair of brand name shoes, I had saved up my pocket money to buy. Now it's just an everyday thing. And when James comes to talking to the Christians of that time in the Church of Jerusalem, who were transitioning from Judaism into Christianity as they, they understood it, he begins to start talking a very different way. He begins to address certain things, and these guys had money. And in verse 1 it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rottened your garments and have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, 
And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your field, of which has been withheld by you, cries out against you and the outcry of those outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ear of the Lord of the Sabbath. You've lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now there's a lot in there. And to tell you the truth, it's written in a culture that can be hard to fathom. And sometimes we can miss what is actually being said simply because we don't relate. And unless you actually have riches, sometimes you may not necessarily understand why James is addressing this. So I'm going to give a quick rundown on this. The reason why James is addressing this is because there was wealthy people in the city who had stored up their wealth for themselves. They had kept their wealth to themselves. They are doing awesome. And yet there were so many people that were starving. So many people that were going hungry. So many people didn't have houses. And so many other issues within the community. One of the things that came out of the early church at the, at the day of Pentecost was people would sell up what they had and then use those finances to look after so many other people. And what James is addressing is he's talking about these rich people and saying this. There's four reasons there's an issue. Four reasons that he, can, that he begins to relay that there are issues with the wealth. First of all, it was hoarding the wealth. The rich were hoarding their wealth, you know, keeping to themselves. The funny thing about money is this. If you have a love for money, you will never have enough. You will seek and work and work and work and never ever be satisfied with what you have. You'll buy things, obtain things, keep working, keep massing fortunes, and it will never ever be enough. I know someone relatively close to me who's actually quite wealthy. And there's times when we go out and he's stingy. Like I'm not expecting him to pay. But there are times when I pay and he's stingy and he has way more money than I do. He hoards his wealth. And the problem with that is you cannot take it with you. You cannot buy salvation. You cannot obtain it in eternity. There's an old joke. It goes back and this, this fella dies. And he's amassed a, a fortune. And he goes up to St. Peter and he's at the pearly gates. And he realizes what's taken place and said, look, can you give me a sec? Can you send me back down? I will be only, give me one day. Give me one day back here on earth and then I'll come back. And St. Peter, out of his grace, says, okay, no worries. And the rich man, he goes back down and he, he sells off everything he had and he buys gold bricks. He puts them in suitcases and he goes back up to heaven. And as he's entering pearly gates, Peter said, just, just one second, what on earth have you got in that suitcase? And the guy opens up the suitcase, he opens it up and shows, and he sees gold bricks. And Peter turns and goes, why did you bring pavers? The Bible says that heaven is paved with gold. 
that the gates are like giant pearls. It says that Jesus, or the God actually has a cattle on a thousand hills. Now, if you contemplate that concept, cattle on a thousand hills, you don't know how big the hills are, and you don't know how many cattle on each hill. But he has more than enough. He doesn't need your wealth, and you can't take it with you. You won't get to heaven and go, okay, um, you earn this much a year, you have this much mass, all right, so you get to stay in the Beverly Hills area part of Kevin, and you didn't have enough, so you're slumming it. There's no separation with God. The second thing is, they acquired wealth by ripping off their workers. They didn't pay them the right price. They didn't give them what they were due. They found ways to rip them off. And when you have a love for money, and that stinginess comes through, you find ways to take and I've worked for employers that are not very generous at all, that are stingy, and you're like, why? Why? It costs you nothing. The third one is luxurious living. It's really important to understand there's nothing wrong with amassing money. Money is not the issue because money is amoral. See, it's good to have riches in your hand, provided they do not go to your heart. It's good to have things that money can buy, provided you also have the things that money can't buy. It's getting the balance. It's not necessarily a bad thing to have a nice home. But when your home is so luxurious and there are so many people that are doing it tough and you have done nothing to balance it out, that's when it becomes the issue. When we hoard our money for ourselves, that's an issue. The fourth reason is when they're condemning those people who should not be condemned, the righteous. It says in verse 6, it says, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. Money is a funny thing. It's because of how we view it. Money is there as completely as amoral. It has no morality. But it's there for us to purchase things that we need in order to do the things that God has called us to do. But if we become, or it becomes to sink in our heart, it begins to overwhelm who we are and the purposes that God has for us, that becomes a major, major issue. In Matthew 6, and I talked about it before, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. There's, there's different kinds of investments that we as Christians can make. We can make our investments in the stock market, which is not a problem. We can invest our, our, our finances into different things on this earth. 
But when we haven't invested into the kingdom, if we haven't invested in the things that last beyond us, there is an issue. One day, each one of us will answer before God. We'll all stand before God. Not for our salvation, because if you're saved, that's already been done. And you won't be judged for the things that you've done before your salvation or anything like that. But you'll be judged or given account for the things that you were called to do or the things that you actually did. The things that we did with what we were given. Money is not an equalizer. It has a tendency to separate us. It separates us from each other because depending on how we view it. And the more I've looked into this and I was reading this passage of Scripture over and over again saying, God, speak to me of this. Where do, where do I need to work on? What is, what is in my heart? Because to be honest with you, I like things too. I have things that I have, things that I want to have, things that would be really nice that I don't necessarily need but I would like. And it's really a judging line of, okay, where do I step in this and where do I step in that? Where, what's okay for me to have? What's not okay for me? What if I obtain it, what will it do to me? Will it take me away from my relationship with God or will it bring me closer to my relationship with God? And James begins to, as he unpacks this, he begins to expose people's hearts. There's a, a wealthy part within Jerusalem that are hoarding their wealth not for the benefit of the kingdom but for the benefit of themselves. And we can overread this or underread this depending on our perspective just simply because we're not wealthy. My son came and asked me the other day a very weird question. He says, Dad, am I wealthy? I said, that depends, son. He says, what do you mean? That depends on how you view as wealthy. It says, I said to him, I said, you have a family that loves you. You have a whole bunch of people that love you. You have a roof over your head. I don't think you want for too much. Are you wealthy, son? He just wandered off. I don't know if I answered his question or he was thinking somewhere. And I asked him, I said, why did you ask that? And he says, oh, no reason. There's always a reason, but maybe he didn't want to tell me. There's a great mistake to think that there is security in wealth. There's a great mistake to think that our, our security can be found in what we can obtain. Because it's not. God will take us each on a journey in order to understand how we can trust him greater in our finances. There's times that he's asked me to do things and it doesn't make sense. There's times when the bank account gets really low and yet, I've got to keep moving on. How do I, how do, I do this? Or how, how is this supposed to happen? How can I pay the bills when the bank account and the bills don't seem to match? And there's always a way. God makes a way. When Jesus died on the cross for us, and died for each and every one of us, he didn't just die to be your saviour. He died for us so he could be our Lord. And too many times as Christians, we make that decision for the cross for, for Jesus. And we stay at the cross. 
We never move from the cross and make him our Lord and live our lives according to what he has called us. It's always that point where we just get to that point of, I'm born again and that's it. And the more that I've understood Jesus, the more that I've understood his word, the more I've understood this. The more that I make him Lord over my life and in my life in all areas, the more I can actually release. And finances are no different. If more I release of my finances into his hands, the more I trust him, the more he takes me on a road and the more that he brings forth the bountifulness. That doesn't mean I always walk around with cash in my pockets. But it does mean that even in the lean times, God is more than enough. See, Jesus is not just my provider. He is my provision as well. When Abraham took his son, his only son, up to a region called Mount Moriah, where God had actually called him to sacrifice his only son, They took him up. They built the altar. He put his son on the altar. He lifted up the knife. And just as he was about to plunge the knife, God said, stop. I know I can trust you. And at that point in time, just by random, God had allowed a ram to get caught in thickets by his horns. And they called that place Yahweh Jireh, the God who provides. It was man's way of understanding who God was, that God would always, always provide for him no matter what. And when Abraham put his trust in God, God always provided. Not only did he provide for the promise that he gave him when he said, your descendants will be like the stars of the earth, but he provided when Abraham was willing to release it. See, when God gives you something, if you can't release it, you're holding too tightly to it. And when you're holding too tightly from it, be prepared, because God might ask from it. God might ask that very thing that you're holding dear to. I have great expectations for this year. And as Mel said, the week did not start off like that. But that doesn't change the fact that God can move mountains even when we can't see it. I had a little setback. I went and saw my surgeons this week with great expectations. Last year I had a, a surgery and it was terribly exciting. They fused my shoulder. I have photos, it's, it's, I'm, I'm almost mechanical. And as I went in, I had, had a CT scan a week beforehand. I had great expectations and my surgeon met me. He showed me the CT scan and he said it didn't work. And I was like, really? He said, we can go in again, we can do it, we take it to the next level. I said, okay. My first surgery, they did, uh, well, the last surgery I had, they did it orthoscopically. 
I said, so what do you mean by you go to the next level? He says, we open up your whole shoulder, we put plates, we take out the old screws and put new ones in. I was like, brilliant. I was hoping that this year I would get out of a sling. Now I'm in it for the rest of the year. And so sometimes in our life of trying to chase after God, doing the right things, putting him first, we can find these obstacles come in our place. Distractions, disappointments, discouragements. But it's coming back to that simple point, I put God first, I put God first, I put God first, God, I put you first, I made you Lord, showed you were Lord in my life, this has got to be no different. And finance is no different. The more I sort of seek God in different areas and try and make sure that I've got everything on my eyes dotted and my T's crossed, make sure that I'm fulfilling what God's asked me to do, sometimes that might mean that my finances may not be the necessary, you know, like you always want to go in there and be able to draw out money. Well, you see those, uh, the movies or the TV shows where they put their card in and it starts spitting out money. One day. But sometimes what God wants to do is take us on a journey where he shows us that he is more than enough. And if we remove our eyes from seeing that money is our source, it doesn't bother us. But when God is not our source, this is where the problems lie. And this is what James is getting to. James is saying, you guys have put your faith, you have put your trust in your own ability, in your ability to make money. You understand the worldly system, how to hoard wealth. You understand the system of how to acquire wealth by ripping off those who work for you. You understand the system of, I have money, so why not spend it on me? You understand the ways of ripping people off and using it against other people, start claims and stuff like this in order for you to benefit yourselves. But in the end, when you die and when you face the Almighty, it will grant you no favor. And it's that getting that balance right of what money is and where it's needed and it's our motivation behind what we do that becomes extremely important. How we see what God can do. This book, the Bible, is God's, it's God relating to different people. It's God talking, speaking, walking with different people in different areas. But you'll find the same message is found throughout it that God is more than enough. In Matthew 6.33, famous passage of Scripture, says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. An interesting passage of Scripture, really. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? Everything you could possibly need or want. Sometimes we don't have because God cannot trust. And when you look at finances, it's simply this. God gives you an ability to make money. Some people are blessed a little bit more. Some people 
are blessed to the standard that they're supposed to. Some people are a little bit more shrewd and work in their own humanity and are able to do things a little bit, oh, a little bit on the dodgy side. And some people have this thing called a conscience and so they can't progress into that. And so sometimes people don't seem to be able to get past something simply because they're doing it in their own strength and not according to how God's principles work. But I can tell you, when you start to apply God's word to your life, in different areas of your life, when you start giving him the access point, right? when you start allowing the cross of Jesus Christ to actually resonate in your life in all different areas, he begins to work mightily. See, it's not just about him dying on the cross, it's about him being resurrected. And him being resurrected has more power in your life if you let it than him dying. Because Jesus didn't die, just die, he rose again. And he rose again to show that there is life even after death. That there is a purpose in all that takes place in our lives. And then if we simply trust in him and apply his principles and his word, then we too will rise. We too will be resurrected. It's in our hearts that we become resurrected. And the more we let go of the things that we have obtained through our life, the more room there is for him to rule and reign. Think of it like a house. In a house there's different rooms and different areas and when you make a decision for Jesus Christ, you open the front door and you let him in. But if he's not the Lord of the house, then when someone knocks on the door, it's your job to answer it. And when you make Jesus Lord of your life, when you give him the permission to rule and reign, when someone knocks on your door, his job is to enter it. And the more rooms that you give him access to, the more rooms that you make him Lord of, the more areas of your life that you give him access to in your life, right? All the little things, including the hurts. He begins to take dominion over. He begins to take over this area and this area. And what actually takes place is we begin to relinquish our control and we become stewards of what he gives us. But he is still Lord of our life. And everything we obtain, we just become a steward of. It's sometimes a hard concept to grasp because we are looking things through our fleshly eyes. But that transition between looking things through our humanity and looking things through how God views them or our spirituality is very interesting. When you look at the concept of why the Titanic sunk, let me explain it like this. The reason why the Titanic sunk is because of ego. It was ego that made this steel inferior to what was ordered. It was ego that had this concept that we would be the fastest ship to get from New York to London in the fastest time. It was ego that stripped the lifeboats because they said the, sh the ship was unsinkable. And it was ego that the captain decided to go full steam ahead even when iceberg warnings were given. That really paints a different picture of how something takes place, but that is the reality of it. Somebody thought, oh, I want to be the fastest. I want to be the best. 
but it will cost. I want to be the richest. I want to have the biggest house, but at what cost? I want to drive the fanciest car, but at what cost? Everything has a cost. When we are in pursuit of what we want, sometimes we can pay a cost that's so much higher than we want. I believe with all my heart that God places a God-shaped hole in your life. That this hole is only there to be filled by God. But it's so, so we are so conscious of it that we try and fill it with everything we can imagine with. People fill it with drugs, alcohol, other members of the other sex. Um, we fill it with possessions, wealth. Well, we try and do whatever we can to fill that void because we don't feel 100% complete. And so we look at different things. Oh, I'll try that. I'll try that. I'll try that. But the problem is that hole is for God. That hole is there for God to reside in. And no matter what we try and fill it in, it, it just can't be filled because God's the only one with the key. But when, when we give God access, because he doesn't force himself on us, when we give him access to our lives and say, God, here's the key. You take control. He begins to move in only where he is welcomed. And he begins to rule and domain. And so when it's his, he begins to look after his own. I have never wanted when I'm with him. There are things that I want, don't get me wrong. Things I desire. But the more I seek his face, the more I ask him, God, what do you want me to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? How can I better work with this? How can we better solve this? How can we do this? When I invite him in those areas... When I invite him in the very places my heart is hurt, when I feel disappointment, when I feel disillusionment, or I get discouraged, right? When I invite him into those places, that's when he begins to bring healing. And unfortunately, James brings up this very important point. He says this, Be careful that you don't store up riches on this earth. Be careful that we don't become like the world. Be careful that you don't think that what you can amass is important because you don't take it with you. Like I said, I'm not against having stuff, so please, please don't, don't take it that way. But it's got to be the why. The why behind it. We are so richly blessed. Blessed beyond our own imaginations. And God has good, good things for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans for good. Because when God created us, He didn't just go, Ah, oh, yep, Next. He created you with purpose. He shaped you with his very hands. He breathed his very life in you and said, I have a purpose for this 
person. I've put my gifts and my talents in them, my abilities. I shape their personality for the task ahead. They're going to go through trials, but I will always be with them. And when we learn to actually turn towards him through our trials, it's so much easier. When we get the right perspective of our trials, it's so much easier. And sometimes our trials are a result because, don't worry, God, I've got it. We don't literally say that, but it's like we mimic it. We put our faith in our own abilities rather than His. But God has good, good things for us. And I have no doubt that this year is going to be a good year. We have a theme this year, something that God really put on my heart last year. Limitless. <laughs> well trained. <laughs> Leave the room, turn off the light. <laughs> He's all right. <laughs> Created the mood. <laughs> Kids. To be limitless, to let God be limitless in our lives, to have no bounds, no walls, that we would not box ourselves in, we would not box God in, that we would just let him, let him do what he wants to do this year. Now, of course, whenever you start approaching something like this and say, God, you know what, I'm going to take the limits off this year. There's always tests. Tests are going to come in and say, okay, are you serious? Are you serious about letting God be limitless in your lives? Are you serious? Are you serious about God? I just... I want to give to you this year. I just want to let you have. Are you serious? Because God's going to put you to the test. And of course, the enemy is going to come in and go, I'm going to try and bring discouragement. So you get disillusioned about what you've just made declaration over and you get discouraged about it and you quit. Because there's times when the devil can't stop you being a Christian, but he can try his, his darnest to stop you being from being active. To stop you from being hungry. To stop you walking in your pure destiny that God created you to walk in. And he will do his utmost to bring those discouragements, those diswords, disappointment, to undo appointment, discouragement, to undo courage. And he will do everything he possibly can to do that. But there is also going to come tests. And the test is really simple because God wants to go, you know what, are you for real? Because if you get through this test, it'll cement what I want to do in your life. And we go through tests and tests and tests over in our lives, but what it's actually doing is it's building and developing our foundation. It's building and developing the promises of God in our lives. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a test. There are times I have failed, and I have failed miserably. But there have times that I have succeeded as well. And I get to see the process of it. I get to the end of it, look back and go, oh, why was I worried? Why was I worried about what just was about to happen? At the start of it, it's scary. But at the end, it's like, that was easy. I just wish I had more courage during the process. But this year, this year's going to be a good year. And it doesn't matter how it looks like it's going to start. They can bring COVID. They can bring all this rubbish. My God is bigger. My God is bigger. My God is bigger. My finance, the church finances aren't where I want them to. But my God is bigger. My God is bigger. 
My finances aren't where I need them to be, but my God is bigger. My daughter dashed her leg open, but my God is bigger. They said the shoulder didn't work, but my God is bigger. I'm disappointed, but my God is bigger. And if I allow the enemy to take, take root and let those dis words come in, I become robbed. Robbed of what God wants to give me because I become disillusioned with what is taking place. I begin to focus too much on the winds and the waves. That doesn't mean that you'll pass every test. But it does mean that sometimes when we fail, they are deliberate. And then you need to use those times to get back up and keep pressing on. God has good things for you. And we're only in January. It's only the 16th. And there's so much more of the year to come. There are so many more good things to come. I didn't say anything last week, but maybe I should have. On our communion Sunday, four people said that they need new cars. Two cars have already been delivered. Two people got new cars that they needed. It may not have come in brand new car, but they still got cars. So we've got two more to go. And of course, then there's all the other wishes and desires. What would it take for us to literally believe in the limitlessness of God? What would it take for us to just go, you know what, God, do whatever, man. I trust, I believe, you can do it. There have been times, seriously, time is evade. There have been times in my life, especially in the early years, where I so believed in tithing, and I still do, so believed in giving that I gave every sin I had. And then the next Sunday I had nothing else to give because my bank account was empty, that I cleaned out my car. You know, back in the days when you kept coins? Back in the days when tolls needed coins? I cleaned out all the, you know, the 20 cents and the dollars and the $2 and whatever else I could find. Those had slipped down the, the, the seats. And I gave all that and I'm like, God, I got nothing left now. I got nothing. My bank account's clean. I can't find a single coin. I've looked under the sofas. I got nothing. So I'm in your hands now. I'm either going under or I'm going through. And every time, I can tell you, every time, every time, God has made a way. God has brought through blessings beyond your understanding. I mean, our first home was just a miracle. Our first home that we built, well, we, yeah, built. A developer in our church said, I want to bless a few families in our church. And we bought a house for, for, for the cost He'd organized with builders and landscapers and everything else, blah, 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 that came with it. And he built houses for cost. And if you don't know the difference between cost and profit, there's a big difference. But it got us in. It wasn't my dream home, but it was a step in the door. And as I sit back and look at the process, it's like, God, you did that. 
In the 15, well, coming up to 15 years of marriage, we have never bought a fridge. We've always had fridges given to us. And every time one fridge is about to die, we find out that someone else wants to give us a fridge. And we're like, okay, so I've got another fridge. I've never lived in a time like this before. But I can tell you with absolutely 100% assertion, with 100% confidence, this world needs to see Christians who have faith. Faith in their God. Faith in the Word of God. Faith in who He says He is. He is. Not faith in, oh, I'm scared and worried about everything that's going to take place, but faith in God, you know what? It doesn't matter what takes place. I know where I'm going, and I know that God has a plan for me, and I'll walk that process. We don't have to be afraid. If I get sick and, and if COVID gets me, I know where I'm going. Of course, it's not my time yet because my family's not ready for that. I'm not worried. I don't live in this constant place of fearing what will happen tomorrow because I know that whatever takes place, I'm walking, it th- I'm walking through it with God. It doesn't matter if they take my arm. I'm walking through it with God. There's a plan and there's a purpose to it. One of the things that happened to me after my accident is, you know, when you get told all this fun stuff, I had to steal a little bit more time, it's easy to become fearful of it. And they tell me the operation, you know, basically, you know, when you get told, oh, they really can't do too much for you, your, your injury is so severe that they can't fix the problem, we can, we can do this to try and make you look normal or, or feel normal. And I remember sitting there and I was like, God, you know, what do I do with this? What do I do with this operation? Do I walk through this? Do I deny this? You know, become more super religious and faithful and go, God will heal me. And this is the words that I felt God say to me. He says, can I not heal you even if you amputate it? Can I not heal you even if they bolted it all together? Can I not heal you if you became the winter soldier? Can I not? Can I not? Am I not bigger than this? That was a bit of a slap to my face, but it was a realization. It's like, you know what? You are God. You're bigger than this. And it doesn't matter what happens, you're bigger than this. You can create an avenue. You can do whatever you want. I mean, you created the earth and everything that exists on this earth in six days. And the only reason why you took a seventh day to rest was to show the importance of being able to rest in you. Is not God big enough? Is not God able? Is God not able to do more than exceedingly abundantly, more than you could possibly ask for? Because this year, this is a time to transition from one point of thinking to the next and say, God, you are more than enough. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're far from Him, if you need to be reminded or reconnected with Him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be at the front. We're going to pray. We're going to close the meeting. We have, there's a morning tea and there's a tea and coffee. I invite you to stay, get to know someone, get to meet someone, say hello to someone you don't necessarily know. Brad's birthday's in two days. He turns 52. He looks good for 50. No, he's only a young chicken. 
We're going to pray and we'll close the meeting. If you want prayer, I'll be down the front. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that no matter what happens in the history of mankind, in the future of mankind, no matter what happens on this earth, you are more than enough. You are bigger than any situation. Father, I thank you that money is just a tool, that we don't need to store it up for our own insecurities, that you can provide daily. There are so many testimonies and so many stories of where you have come through. You've brought through blessings and favor beyond the own our understanding. Father, I pray that we would have a different perspective of who you are this year. Mold us, make us, design us, do whatever, transform us into who you've called us to be. To be more like the image of Christ. To have the more thinking of of what you want to do with us in this time and in this season, in the purposes that you've called us for. Father, I speak a mighty blessing upon your people. Father, I speak great weeks and health, abundance. Open our eyes, open our ears to all the possibilities, who you are and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.